we as Christians have institutionally backed uh, the oppression of others, we should we should own that up front. That should literally be a part of how we how we function in the world and how we relate to others in the world. I think we should, our institutions should wear that like a banner. Hey guys, welcome to the Absurdity with Ryan Becker. I am your host Ryan, and it is so uh, good to have you listening to us today. Um, I just want to let you know today I have a really special guest on the podcast. His name is Zach Hunter. Uh, he is an author. He is a a prominent figure in social justice movements and otherwise. Um, and he came and spoke at my school when I was in high school, and that's kind of how I connected with him. And I've just stayed connected to him. But in light of recent events, I decided as we, he and I have been talking about things that we can do proactively about some of uh, the tragedies that are happening in society today. After Charlottesville happened, I he was the first person I thought of to come on and talk about it. And so if you are brand new, if you're listening because he sent you here or, or others sent you here, I want to let you know uh, I am Seventh-day Adventist. It is a denomination within Protestant Christianity. So I believe Jesus died and rose for my sins. I, I, I believe that uh, he is my savior and salvation only comes through him. So that's kind of the lens that I'm looking through. I am a pastor in the Southeast. I pastor two churches in South Carolina at the time of recording this uh, and uh, this is kind of just us talking about this issue, processing it, and seeing what we can do through the lens of our Christianity, through the lens of our humanity, uh, seeing what we can do to deal with some of these and uh, these issues and reconcile them. And and both of us as white American men, we we acknowledge that very very plainly in this podcast, in this in this conversation. Uh, and so I'm just going to kind of let this conversation play out, and and I do hope that you enjoy it. I hope that you benefit from this. Uh, and I hope that you find something concrete that you can do as you walk away from this. And I do want to let you know, uh, if you do go back and listen to other episodes and you're not a part of my denomination, you might find a couple that uh, are a little confusing to you, and that's okay. Uh, I deal with issues here that are both social justice related, and sometimes I deal with issues that are uh, that are dealing with my denomination specifically. And so that's okay. Uh, just... Uh, you can listen to those episodes and learn a bit more. I just want to let you know uh, that that's kind of what you're getting into is the, as the lens I look through is also through my Seventh-day Adventism. So I hope you enjoy uh, this episode of The Absurdity, where we address the absurdity of the world with the absurdity of the gospel. Hey guys, I am here with Zach Hunter. And Zach, why don't you go ahead and tell us a bit about yourself? Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Hey man, well thanks for uh, for having me on the podcast. Uh, my name is Zach. <laughs> I am uh, I'm 25, live in Philly. Uh, I've only lived here for a couple of years. I've uh, lived all over the place, but um, there are a couple of things that are really close to my heart. Um, you know, I love uh, I love justice, I love uh, God and the Bible, and uh, really passionate about technology and passionate about storytelling. And, uh, you know, my life is marked by kind of these, um, these openings and closings of sort of different chapters, you know, so in sort of a, a previous life from the time I was, uh, 14 to the time I was about 21, uh, I wrote four books and traveled around the world speaking about human trafficking and, um, visited and spoke at the white house a couple times. And, uh, have had the privilege of doing some stuff I don't think I uh, deserve to have the opportunity to do. But, uh, you know, the whole kind of common thread uh, between all that stuff has been the idea of justice as a necessary outworking of faith. And even more recently, I think just 
you know, justice and equality is a necessary outworking of, of being a person. I, I feel compelled by just being a human to try to make other people's experiences here better. Um, that's me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we met because you used to travel and speak everywhere, right? You came to yeah. my high school when, like, I went junior year, and you were like my yeah. idol for like three weeks. Hey. Like, I'm gonna write, I'm gonna be just like this guy, and then. Oh, man. <laughs> but we both love yeah. the Bible, we both love God, and we both love justice. So, there you go. You know, some of the goals were met, at least. Rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, so you're on here for a very specific purpose, and that is um, with what just happened a few days ago in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, I do believe that conversations about this are important to have. Mm. Uh, and so um, it just kind of in your own words um, in, yeah. in what you know of, uh, why don't you introduce us a little bit to what's kind of happened in Charlottesville. Give us a little mm. backdrop for the conversation we're about to have. Yeah, man. Well, um, well, first context on me, uh, I'm, I'm white, I am Caucasian. Um, and you know, so that, that does definitely frame my perspective of the conversation. Um, as well as, you know, my perception of and passion for, uh, justice issues, but understanding that I'm viewing that through, you know, lens of my own implicit biases, um, that I, I am, uh, you know, e even speaking on stuff from the vantage point of, of my privilege, even if I'm seeking to leverage that privilege, that's still my starting point. Right. And so yeah. that's just kind of a disclaimer for, for anybody. But, um, <clears throat> so, you know, I mean, Charlottesville, uh, I don't know. Where do you begin with Charlottesville? It's um, a lot of people were stunned by it. And I, I hope that most people can agree that we shouldn't be stunned by Charlottesville. Um, I think that uh, uh, that being said, I think, I think optimistic and hopeful people um, I've seen have, have been particularly discouraged by the display in Charlottesville. Um, and I, I'm, I'm analyzing it as that I'm, I'm describing it as that for a couple of reasons i think number one um you know you have a bunch of people marching openly and overtly as white nationalists as white supremacists carrying the flags of uh a couple of losers you know the the confederates and the nazis um who are also traitors to you know the united states and and killed a lot of americans among many many other people uh, <laughs> um you know, and uh, so that that in and of itself, like you can't be patriotic and claim to be a Nazi or a Confederate. That's that's apparent. I would hope. I would really, really hope that's apparent. Um, but I, I think I think a big part of why it was discouraging, whether consciously or unconsciously, to people who weren't even surprised by it, and why it hit a lot of people emotionally really hard, from what I'm seeing, is that you had a bunch of people marching without masks. I feel like I feel like we're seeing number one bunch of really freaking young white dudes marching out here. It's not people's, you know, I, I saw, I saw someone describe it as, you know, it's, it's not, it's not people's old racist uncles. It's literally like, you know, the, the kid in your biology class or whatever, you know, it's, it's your coworker. Um, and I mean, the thing is it, it always has been, it's just that I think a lot of people were optimistic. Now I'm, I'm not, and never really have been <laughs> optimistic. Um, that might not entirely be true, especially maybe, you know, seven or eight years ago, but within the last five or so years, uh, just, you know, in, in intentionally trying to, to unlearn biases and also learn from, you know, our, our siblings who have experienced oppression on a very practical level. I, I, 
uh, the rose colored glasses come off and, and, you know, they, they, they come back on at, at moments where, you know, I realize that I'm surprised by something. I'm like, I shouldn't be surprised by this, you know, but anyway, so Charlottesville, massive march and riot and protests where the police didn't do much. And a whole bunch of white supremacists marched through the streets with, uh, with tiki torches from Walmart, uh, <laughs> And and to to protest the fact that they feel disenfranchised in America, I guess. Um, and you know they picked Charlottesville in particular. There's there's a lot of history there. Um, you know, um, and I mean aside from the fact that it's a southern town, or including the fact that it's a, a southern town with a lot of old roots there. And there were some counter protesters, a very small group of counter protesters, and um, you know there was a lady named uh named heather who uh was was murdered by one of these dudes who was behind the wheel of a car which was run over and uh yeah i mean it's you know sorry this is for such a non-linear description i'm just kind of processing a lot of this no, after no, no, a very okay. long week of you know both going to work hanging out with family going out and protesting coming back going to work you know going straight to a protest coming back home like you know it's uh it's a, it's been a bananas week for, for many people. And, uh, yeah. you know, but I, I, um, I don't know. What was your, what, what, how, how, what lens are you seeing it through? How do you, uh, how, how are you kind of observing it, adapting to it? And, uh, what's, what's, what, if anything is different about this for you? I, I have a couple thoughts really high level beyond that initial reaction and what happened in Charlottesville. But I mean, what are, what are you thinking yeah. and feeling? Um, so I, I would actually describe it much the way that you do. And, and for those that who are just tuning into this for the first time, I also am a white uh, American uh, <laughs> and and look through this through the lens of that kind of bias. Um, and and in, in fact, the entire purpose of this podcast is is to leverage that bias in in support of oppressed and, and, and part of that doing what I can to lend my voice in support of those. And so my lens is, is kind of that and and what I see and what I saw is, is virtually the same as you. And I think what, what really caught me, um, what really caught my attention here is not that these, that these people exist because I knew that it's that there were so many people that assumed that these voices were negligible or, or, um, illegitimate. And so then all of a sudden these white nationalists come out because they suddenly have implicit support from those in leadership. Um, and it seems like they have legitimacy and we go, oh, well, those people should be quiet or those people shouldn't, shouldn't have been able to do that. But I mean, they did. And this is the reality, which is there's hatred. And just because mm. for the last several years, you haven't had these people out marching in the street with tiki torches from Walmart, uh, doesn't mean that they don't exist and doesn't mean that that ideology isn't growing in in any subsect of society you've you've still got it there it's still real and it's a discussion that that still mm. needs to take place it's it's a topic that needs to be addressed and so that's that's my thing and and secondly um and really this should be firstly is um and and I love that you pointed this out in fact at the time of recording this it's your profile photo on <laughs> on on Facebook but uh Heather Hayer's death Mm. Uh, and not only hers, but the two helicopter pilots who died uh, later that evening, H.J. Mm. Uh, Colin and Burke Bates, both of them <clears throat> uh, monitoring the events in Charlottesville and their helicopter crash. And I believe it's still under investigation. But you've got these three victims. And really, the only media outlet I've heard talking about this 
in any way that is, you know, not you have to Google their names uh, is Stephen Colbert. Uh, he's actually the only media figurehead I've seen discuss these three people in specifics, all three of them. Most hmm. have focused on Heather because Heather's death was specifically, you know, involved in the rally itself mm -hmm. um, as side versus side. But, I mean, three people died. Mm -hmm. Three, I, like, can we just ignore, three people died mm -hmm. over, um, and, and they shouldn't have had to. Mm -hmm. That should not have had to happen. And, and and I think that that's the thing we need to stop and, and understand that lives were lost. Blood has been shed in 2017 um, uh, in racial protests that look much like they did in the civil rights era. Hmm. Absolutely. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I mean, you know, I, it's, it's been, um, it's been interesting, you know, it's, um, I, I, I try to direct my, uh, I, 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 I try to filter my responses on social media through a couple of lenses. Number one, knowing that um, I have, you know, multiple audiences tuning in. There are people who are going to agree with me, people who won't agree with me. And uh, also understanding that, you know, um, there are a lot of people who I'm friends with on Facebook or who follow me on Twitter or whatever, um, you know, who, who are white. And among those people who agree with me and people who won't agree with me, and then, you know, a lot of my friends... Uh, of color who who are also listening and, and watching to see kind of what what the response is and and you know I mean I um yeah I mean it's it and and you know <laughs> there are different things that you can say in responding that are ridiculously insensitive and we we see those um, and then there's the silence which is which is hurtful <laughs> like like you know and and damning I think especially from you know Christian leaders. Um, and, and consistent for many of them where they think they will somehow escape notice by being silent. Um, but you know, one of the things that, um, a friend of mine called me out on, uh, on Facebook, uh, after I changed my profile picture, um, and she basically said, you know, this is the first time I've seen you change your profile picture and doesn't sit well with me that, you know, the first time you change your profile picture, it's, um, you know, uh, one of the first times that a really, you know, noticeable, uh, or, or, you know, no, notable white person is killed as a part of this movement. And, uh, she made the point that, you know, I, I don't think we should, we should act like she's the first martyr of the movement. And, you mm. know, so I, um, that's a hard thing to respond to a little bit. Cause you know, you, you want, you want to, be very sensitive to the reality because there's a lot of truth in that. Like there's a lot of truth in what she's saying. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I basically just said like, you're, you're right. Like we, um, we can't pretend that she's the first mm -hmm. like that. How crazy would that be? Right. To, to yeah. act like Heather is, is the first. And I think if I'm being, if I'm being totally honest, now this is, uh, I had something else I was kind of planning on saying about that, but, but the bottom line truth is number one, uh, I, I knew that there are people who follow me on Facebook who were only going to care about this if it was a white person who was martyred for the cause, which is awful, right? Number one, of course, of course it's awful that she died in this manner. And 
it's also awful that that's what it takes for some people to care. And we've seen that a lot of other times. Like, I mean, that's a part of what I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be so, so bold as to compare this straight across to Selma. Like that's, that's not my intent when I bring this up, but looking at our historical references and looking at particular times throughout history, um, where people have put their lives on the line over and over and over. And you see like a, a few white people step in and, and, uh, and then you see people start caring sometimes. Like sometimes it literally takes that or sometimes it takes, you know, children being murdered. And even then sometimes it doesn't matter, right? And so to me that like there, there's there's like 20, 20 layers of like philosophical damnation here for, mm. for, for me, <laughs> for people involved on, on, on Facebook, for people like me, uh, for people who look like me. And so it's, it's this incredibly, um, it's an incredibly convoluted and emotionally exhausting uh, time. And the last thing I want to do is in my moral indignation and in sharing about stuff that's, that's clearly wrong, um, have, have a, an emotionally exhausting or triggering response. And that, among many reasons is why I'm, I'm trying to take a critical look at how I respond to issues of injustice, especially during uh, times where, where it seems more emergent just because it's in the news uh, and, and not respond in such a disproportionate way to how I respond or speak about this normally because I don't want to be an exhausting, hurtful, triggering presence yeah. when it comes to race on social media by speaking up about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to balance that reality with the fact that, you know, I I also want to make sure that, you know, my my white brothers and sisters can't look away from this. Um, so I think that's that's the tension around mm-hmm. Heather's death for me. And I, I you know, still encountering her uh, a martyr for, for this movement. But that's that's the tension for me that I'm that I'm feeling and kind of walking through today and thinking about, am I going to, am I going to delete stuff? Am, am I going to say something today about the attack that happened in Barcelona? Am I going to, you know, how, how, how do we, how do we address these things without, without being more exhausting and, and harmful? How can we shine a spotlight in a way uniquely that, that each of us can with our own individual communities and groups of friends? Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it's hard to emotionally respond to everything. It's right. just it's, it's impossible. <laughs> um, and, and at some point, you've got to just take a step back, like you said, and, and look critically and say, okay, how am I going to productively respond to these things when they happen? Um, so that when I, when inevitably another attack shows up on Facebook, or uh, you know something happens in my city or another city, um, I don't just scroll past it on Facebook and, and move on. But how do I actually interact with this in a way that's constructive? and moves me and others around me forward, um, without exhausting me to death. Right. Like that's, um, that's, it's really hard. It's really hard to care about everything. Yeah. Um, it just is. Um, and, um, so I, I, I can agree with that tension. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially both of us have people on our Facebooks, um, I'm sure, um, or even in our social <laughs> circles that we disagree with fundamentally mm. on some of this stuff. Right. So how do you, how do you respond in sensitivity, sensitivity to someone to, to a situation, without completely dissuading or, t- or turning away um, those that disagree, um, those that, that completely disagree with you? 
Um, mm. How do you get them to open that or open their eyes or, or look through a different lens as well? Um, and and yeah. so that, that tension is really hard to walk. Right? <laughs> it's, it's, um, it, and, and, and sometimes I stress myself out way too much over it. Yeah, 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 man. I mean, but, yeah, no, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, you're good. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think um, I, I uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have any good answers there. <laughs> no, no, that, yeah. I don't know what the, the purpose of this conversation is, right? So, so yeah. eventually we're going to explore some of this stuff, I think, um, a little bit deeper. Yeah. Um, but let me, let me ask you this. So uh, even aside from, from, um, white people responding to this or, or any other race responding to this, why, why do you think this moment or, or this kind of ongoing battle that we're seeing happening, um, why do you think it's so pivotal for Christians even mm. to, to be, to respond to? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's because the truth should be apparent. Um, and I think, uh, I, I'm, I mean, I, I speak as often as I can specifically to white Christians about what we're, what, what the country is going through right now. Um, I think there are kind of three major high level points that I, that I hammer on in very specific ways. Um, number one, this is not new. Uh, and, and, and providing evidence to that because there are a lot of people who've been asleep for a very long time who may be waking up now because they suddenly feel like it might affect them. Uh, and people are welcome to the party, of course, but uh, we can't be lulled into insensitivity uh, again. I mean, it, it's, it's way too easy. But so number, number one, teaching, <laughs> helping teach our history to, to the white church, helping teach the white church its own history, um, helping teach conservative white evangelicals their history, like, you know, why, why are there, I mean, there, there, there's so many, so many unpopular facts here, but number one, like I, I literally learned last month, uh, and it makes so much sense and I feel stupid for, for just learning this now, but like, why, why were private schools invented, right? Why were private Christian schools invented? It was as a means of avoiding integration. Like, oh, wow. Well, that's, that's great. Like, so, you know, Christian schools, private Christian schools, like that was uh, in large part, the popularity, the, the, the rising popularity of private Christian schools was as an alternative to integrated public schools. Mm. I'm like, that's something important that absolutely every private Christian school should acknowledge. Like, like every, honestly, I, I really believe that. I feel like every single, uh, you know, white evangelical church should take and own the unique part of whatever their their denominations part in fill in the blank in slavery in in uh, Jim Crow in uh, if, if and when they've backed a candidate that that has had a law and order bent in however they institutionally we as Christians have institutionally backed uh, the oppression of others we should we should own that up front that should literally be a part of how we how we function in the world and how we relate to others in the world i think we should, our institutions should wear that like a banner uh we i mean we should wear that like you know like like a shirt <laughs> like like a hat we should put that on and let people know that we we can't pretend that we don't see it in order to do that first we have to see it so that's step 1 is is trying to educate my fellow white Christians on our history, specifically white Christians in America. Um, number two, I think um, trying to uh, 
connect people to to practical venues for action to understand that they can actually do something and that it's our responsibility to 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 take action when when possible uh to to sit down to be humble when we need to be uh and just and to stand up and speak up when it's when it's uh when it's possible to leverage our privilege and to pass the mic especially that's a hard one for for white christians in leadership mm. and i think um Man, I think I'm forgetting the third one. That's fun. No, um, but you know, ultimately, I think I think this is all kind of wrapped up in in this idea of um, you know, oh oh, the the burden, right? The essentially, what 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 burden do I feel on my heart to ad- address Christians in particular, and, and why do I feel that? I mean, the the biggest and most jarring. Um, Sort of, sort of aspect of all this to me was looking at the, the voter breakdown and seeing how overwhelmingly white evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. And not the fact that the majority did, but, but to what extent. You know, the vast majority of white evangelicals across every demographic voted for Donald Trump. That was, that was uh, stunning. And the fact that only now many of them are realizing why this man is unfit to lead. And the fact that that what what almost broke him but didn't was the fact that he bragged about sexually uh, assaulting a woman um the fact that that almost broke him but not quite um the fact that that was what it took and not not the fact that he's been accused and taken to court over uh, allegedly you know discriminating against black renters you know, not the fact that he's stolen tons of money from people uh, over the years and always gotten away with it. Not the fact that he called Mexicans rapists, you know, not literally everything else he said it said about and did to women up to that point. But the fact that that, that was what it took to almost break him. And then the fact that that all it took to get people, you know, and I'm not I'm not here to, to say that Hillary Clinton was like uh, a, a saint or whatever, but I also, you know. <laughs> I'm also more of a fan of her than I think uh, many people are, or some people are. But, um, you know, the fact that uh, our difference between the first woman president who also had some very problematic uh, policies and things that she was involved in, especially as it relates to the war on drugs, which is one of my biggest issues with her. Um, the fact that the difference, the, the difference between him and her was so jarring. Um, and frankly, the difference between him and literally anybody else running on either side should have been so staggering and so jarring that it should have never been a possibility in the first place. Um, especially when we talk about the moral outrage white conservative Christians seem to have over uh, words, over, over semantics, over our individual theologies. We'll, we'll break from fellowship with people, you know what I mean? And literally not talk to them. And and uh, and condemn them wholesale. Uh, you know, we will. Um, you know, as, as it relates to, to any any issue of life, Christians are are really gung ho about being fundamentally opposed to other people's right to life. Uh, essentially, when you break down the issues, except on the issue of abortion. And we only further solidified and firmed up every single negative allegation against conservative white Christians by putting Donald Trump in office. We left no doubt that every single one of those allegations is true, that all the accusations are 100% true. And the fact that it's taken this long, the fact that it's taken him uh, 
offering the public an apologetic for the the overtly white supremacist march that happened in Charlottesville for some conservatives to be like, this guy might be crazy. Um, and for yeah. conservative white Christians to be like, hey, this might have been kind of a bad idea because there were like actual Nazis there. That's not enough for some people, like, you know, but... <laughs> but I mean, you know, anyway, that's, that's, that's the burden because, um, he's the candidate of the KKK, uh, and a bunch of white conservative evangelicals, almost all of them voted for him as opposed to what, what I think is the conscience of the nation, which is, you know, women, women of color who are Christians overwhelmingly did not vote for him. And, uh, and we can just see that the conscience of the church is clearly does not rest within white Christianity. And I feel obligated as being a part of that construct to continually challenge it and say, you guys are failing. Like you, money changers have entered the temple. We are, we are entertaining the enemy in the temple and we're, we're worshiping all the wrong things. And at this point, I have a hard time calling what white evangelicalism is in America, Christianity, because I feel like by our fruits, it appears that we're worshiping something else entirely from the God of the Bible. So I'll stop my judgmental tirade there. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. I mean, I, I bring I bring you on here for your views, for your know, opinions, and <laughs> in, in your voice. So no, you're good. And 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 for the most part, um, I I do agree. And I want to add this because my um, my specific background is as a Seventh Day Adventist pastor, right? I pastor mm-hmm. two churches in the South. Yeah. And um, Seventh Day Adventists are known for their education system and their health system, and and our our education system actually for many of our schools started way back in the 1800s and i know i can already imagine there are adventists listening to this who are freaking out at your assertion that that um that you learned that that christian private schools started yeah. uh, largely as a result of trying to avoid integration yeah. and my response is here and and largely within the entire racism movement within the entire white supremacy movement we have the opportunity um, to do what we're asking normal Muslims to do against um, radical Islam, or mm. radical Islamism, or um, radical Muslims. Mm-hmm. Sorry, right. So we're asking normal Muslims and everyday Muslims to denounce radical Islam, and yet we're so unwilling to, under the banner of Jesus, not mm-hmm. under the banner of a specific denomination, say, "Yeah, we probably messed up over there, and that should not have happened." Yeah, um, and, and so. Even if even if a specific denomination would would say no, we didn't do that. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Because everyone is carrying that banner of Jesus, and it affects all of us. Mm. Um, and that is a banner that we carry. That is a banner yeah. that we should. Um, and and I agree with you. We should own up that that, mm. that part of our history. Yeah. Um, and I think what what happened with the rise of Donald Trump um, is this this movement to stifle all of the negative conversation. Um, when when they finally felt like they had a voice, they came out in droves, mm. and, and and Trump spoke to and, and I don't even I don't I know there's part of him that meant to um, <laughs> I don't necessarily know how much of him meant to, um, but uh, he spoke to this part of people that were fed up with political correctness and otherwise, and so they're like, look, this dude just gave legitimacy to what mm. I've been saying for years or what I've been feeling for years, mm-hmm. and that matters to me more than anything else. Um, and I think that's a that signals a failure on our part to have mm. real conversations with people about these issues. Um, and they do, they do impact us. There were two white supremacists, I think, that were just convicted in Florida um, for plotting to uh, kill a black inmate. Mm. Like, these are people who 
not all of them are violent. Not all of them are plotting to kill black people. Don't get me wrong. I don't think every white nationalist or white supremacist is is necessarily plotting murder. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are everyday people. Those people go back, and you're right that there's a dude sitting next to you in biology class, mm-hmm. right? There's the guy mm-hmm. sitting next to you at work. There's a guy yeah. pumping gas next to you who has an ideology that is maybe completely different. Um, and if we fail to have these real conversations, yeah. if we're if we're so caught up in just deleting someone's opinion from our Facebook feed because we disagree rather than interacting and educating, yeah, um, right. What what I love about your what I love about what you said is you're saying step one teach and step two connect people. Mm. Um, those are huge. Yeah, um, they involve in meaningful interaction where where people grow. Um, yeah. and, and, and I think that is the kind of interaction we should seek is, is interactions that make us grow together and mm. lead us from where we were before. Mm. Um, and, and that's really, really important. If you're trying to attack an ideology, just saying shut up a bunch of times doesn't get rid of the ideology. In fact, it right. reinforces it. Yeah, I, I do think just kind of as, as an appendix to that, I, I do think we have to make it unacceptable uh, for people to hold those views and essentially have a normal <laughs> healthy social life like I, I I maybe I'm extreme in this but I really feel like um, I, I feel like we have to be intolerant um, and, and, and not only not only uh, cautious to uh, I, I, I feel like there's there's somewhat of a balance uh, between uh, communicating our thoughts clearly and with enough love and and accuracy mm. and kindness to be heard, but at the same time, um, I feel like, especially with white moderates, like we we have um, we see a tendency to come down heavier on the side of love and an attempt to find the middle ground on on anything, regardless of the cost. And the thing is, I mean, I'm I'm not the first person to say this at all, but I mean, there's there's no middle ground when it comes to racism. No, there's there's, there's no middle ground when it comes to to white supremacy or when it comes to you know prejudice in general, and I think we want to think now that does not mean there aren't varying degrees of it. Of course, right? There are all lives matter racists and there are KKK racists and there are measures in between and on either side of that. It's a continuum. It's it's an it's an unrighteous cycle, an unholy cycle, and and where uh, I think all white people are are in that cycle somewhere, uh, being raised in a society. That conditions us to 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 think of ourselves as better and other people as as lesser, right? And that's a constant unlearning that everybody needs to do. We all have racism baked in because of how America was was built and is built to function because of what it runs on. America runs on white supremacy. I should say Duncan living up here in the Northeast. Sorry, bad joke. But America runs on racism. America runs on white supremacy. Um, America made a promise at its founding, and it, it functionally, fundamentally cannot make good on its promise. Its promise was that all men are created equal. I mean, that in and of itself, all men, we could leave that there, and we could talk about that for a, for a while. <laughs> but it said all men are created equal, right? Uh, you know, our, all of our founding documents talk about freedom and talk about self-evident rights and talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But we know what those caveats are because we know was happening out in the fields and we know we were happy to have you know 
black black men go die for the country even before it was founded and and uh you know to 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 split up families and to i mean fill in the blank i don't have to rehash every single every single injustice in american history history but the reality is that you know um i think i think the first um the first step is is recognizing one's own racism and i think the next step is being willing is is being entirely intolerant of that racism in others. And now what, what I think that means is that no white person has, uh, has the ability, hopefully, to be self-righteous in how we approach racism, uh, knowing that it's something that we have all benefited from and that we continue to benefit from, that whiteness is, is something that, it, that is artificial and, and unholy and that has been uh, created for our benefit. And it is, is something that we continue to benefit from. So I would hope that in, in my approach, I know I don't reflect humility in many cases when I address racism, and I'm sure people uh, feel that I approach it from a standpoint of, of better than, and I, I hope to never do that because I'm approaching it from the standpoint of acknowledging in myself the fact that these biases exist, the fact that this is a system that I continue to benefit from. And I think that fundamentally that in and of itself is evil. And that if, if to quote the old spiritual, if, if, uh, if we, you know, sung by abolitionists and, and slaves, that if, if one of us has changed, none of us is free. I believe in our mutual humanity and the fact that in order for the kingdom of God to come, in order for us to stop desecrating the temple, which is what white supremacy does, I think that we have to own that within ourselves and we have to call it out wherever we see it. Now, figuring out how to do that with humility while not being soft on white supremacy, while not trying to find an artificial middle ground, that's a balancing act. I don't have the answers there. <laughs> well, and I, I agree with you. Um, and my thing is, um, I, I do think that we should be intolerant towards, um, towards hateful ideology, mm. right? Like we should not tolerate hateful ideology. Mm. Um, but, um, when I say, you know, don't delete someone Mm -hmm. who just vehemently disagrees with you, Mm. here's the thing. When I look at a protest and I look at the counter protesters, right? Um, I don't think anyone switched sides in the middle of that protest. (laughs) I don't think any, you know, cause that's not the point of, I think what protesting does and what those marches do, uh, like unite the right is saying, Hey, we're here. And if there's any like-minded individuals out there, Hey, you can come join us. Right. A stranger mm. has much less of an opportunity to change someone's mind mm. um, than a friend does. And if you're on someone's friends list, I know our friends list doesn't always mean something, right? I'm friends mm-hmm. with people I've met once for 30 seconds. Yeah. Uh, but if you're friends with someone, you have a position in their life to speak truth to them in a way a stranger doesn't. Um, and, and, and that is not something to be taken lightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, yes, there is a time I think you delete people. There's a time where I think you, you remove them, um, especially if they're being hateful towards you and, and they mm. won't stop. But in general, as much as possible, I do think we should try and interact and, and, and try to discuss um, and, and, and bring us forward. So I think, I think that's the, the, the balancing act there. Mm. Um, and, and the emphasis I have is, is not leverage your friendship, but if you're, if you're friends mm-hmm. with them, you have an opportunity that others don't. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so that, that's kind of, that's kind of where I, I fall on, on the discussion side of it. But, you know, I think you've got these people that hold, and this is something I see several times with white supremacists and otherwise. Um, and I saw this leading up to this movement mm-hmm. too, uh, is white people saying, 
Uh, being a minority isn't a bad thing. Being, you know, we gave them equal rights. They're fine. Everyone's <laughs> equal now, right? And then immediately, they'll, in the same breath almost, they'll say, but I don't want to become a minority. Mm. And you say, why? Oh, because minorities – I actually saw this in an in a interview just I think yesterday uh, that Vice put out Wow. Uh, that said um, – he's like, yeah, because if we become a minority, we don't control our destiny anymore. Wow. Um, and that was a KKK member, I believe, that said that. Um, but like there's this obvious irrationality that's present. Yeah. And if we just and, – and there's this twisting of scripture that happens. Mm. Um, there's this twisting of the love of Jesus that happens mm-hmm. um, that, that, we, that we miss. And if we just let it go, um, then yeah, people die. Yeah. And the oppression continues. Mm. Uh, but – if it, you can't think that minorities have it fine mm. and then don't want to become a minority yourself mm-hmm. because minorities don't have it fine. Right. Uh, that's, that is ridiculous to me. I, I, was, <laughs> I literally was staring at my face his jaw dropped uh, when he said that. Uh, yeah. Um, it's rough. Um, I, I, and, yeah. And, and, and here's the other thing. Um, I know I'm kind of ranting, but it's no, no. a podcast, right? Um, <laughs> Decades worth of ideologies are not solved in one Facebook conversation. Mm. Generations worth of ideologies are not solved in one Facebook conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, patience, I think, is key. Yeah. Um, as much as I would love for us to end this overnight, um, you know, you don't undo 80 years worth or, you know, 50 or 20, even 20, 10 years of, mm. of, of this ingrained ideology overnight. Yeah. Um, not all of it anyways. Occasionally yeah. it happens and it's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> what right. Yeah, praise God, right? <laughs> uh, most of the time that's not the case. Right. Um, and, and I think patience is key. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Totally. And you know, I at the same time I think I think there's um I I think I think there are different strategies, right? I think that um I mean relationship is is always the long game because humans are are different from one another and we're slow and we're like we're all works in progress we're not i mean we're not uh you know we're not instant oatmeal like we're we're barbecue like we take a long time like we we take yeah we we, we take a long exactly no i mean crockpots look speedy exactly exactly we we make crockpots look like instant oh my gosh i butchered it (laughs) dang it Crockpots look like Easy Mac. There we go. We make, and that's that's just like humans. That's that's <laughs> that's, that's that's how we work. But you know what's really interesting is that um, uh, while I see massive uh, inequity built into every single system and institution that is uniquely American, the church, the government, big business, etc., um, I also see opportunity because we've seen how much change can happen very quickly when enough pressure is put on people that we've put in power and that we keep in power, whether we're talking about voting with our dollar or voting with our vote. Um, when the right pressure is applied in the right place, we've seen this stuff can happen. And that's what happens uh, when power exists and when we, uh, when we are able to affect uh, systems and structures of power. And honestly, when good people have power. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm tipping my hand here and I, not know, I know not everybody uh, is, is going to share my opinion of this. But for example, you know, when, uh, when President Obama, um, you know, uh, created the executive order on marriage equality. 
right? That was something that many people had fought for for a very long time. That's something that I personally, based on my own reading of the Bible and, and reading from a lot of theologians, am in favor of. But regardless, in and of itself, it's a strong example of what can happen when, when one person has a lot of power and when the right pressure is applied in the right way under the right circumstances. It's not always going to be like that, and that breaks my heart, that it can't always be as easy as signing an executive order. Everything can't be an executive order. Uh, but uh, even though I wish it could, I wish we could solve racism with an executive order, yeah, right. right? But but we but um, I, I do think that there's there's a combination of, and I'm not saying that we solved uh, you know the the struggles that LGBT uh, folks face in America either with that executive order. It was it was one one battle, right? Uh, and in one particular vein. But what I'm saying is that um, I don't want to underestimate uh, the idea that um, political action is a necessary part, not only of living out our faith, but of the responsibility that, that we can assume as like citizens, what it means to live in a society. I saw this headline, and I need to read the article. I have it bookmarked, but I just read the headline. It, was, it had a huge impact on me, so I need to read the article. But the headline went, um, I don't know how to explain to you that you should care about other people. And the subheading said, we fundamentally disagree on what it means to live in a society. I'm like, man, that that heading and subheading basically sums up all of my feelings on everything that's happening right now in America, um, especially with, you know, I've, I've become more and more progressive politically, and I, I still, I don't uh, label myself as uh, being a part of a particular political party, but I do uh, vote in a particular way, and it's it fundamentally comes down to issues of life, period, and a holistic ethic of life. Uh, compels me to vote in a particular way as I believe in outworking of my faith. And uh, like everybody else, I can get really judgmental about that when I overlay that on other people. And I expect lots of things from other people. But what I, what I see is that, you know, the, the church is just a bunch of people. Um, our schools, school systems are just a bunch of people. And there are good people and bad people. Uh, yet, when it comes to the government, we have a lot of people who say, oh, the government shouldn't do X, Y, or Z. The church should do that. I'm like, the church is part of the government. Maybe not the institution of the church. There's separation of church and state, right? Yeah, yeah. But the people, like the body of Christ, is part of the government, right? I'm like, why do we expect different things from the body of Christ in government than we do in business or in the church? Why are there things that are fair for the body of Christ in the government? We say it's not their job because they're politicians, that... And why, why do we expect more of our children than we expect of our president, right? Why do we expect more of our pastor than we do of our congressman who's a Christian, right? Like that's screwed up. That's, that's, yeah. fundamentally, that's fundamentally flawed. And so anyway, I, I, I pour all that back into the idea that uh, we have slow cooker action that all of us should be taking. And, and the burden is on, is on white people to talk with our, with our white racist relatives and to talk with our friends and to talk with, you know, uh, the people in our, in our immediate circles. The burden should not be on our siblings who are people of color uh, to do that work. That's, that's on us, right? Uh, and there's also institutional work and I think opportunities for us to apply the same skills we're using on Facebook uh, and, and to, put, to put that communication, that, that petitioning, that lobbying to good use uh, in the institutions that we're a part of. And I think that includes politics. And I think we've, we've denied that for a very long time uh, because um, we want to keep them separate because 
white evangelicalism necessitates a moral separation between who we are as Christians and who we are as voters. So while we say that we're voting our values, what we're really doing is finding any way possible to achieve personal gain, to, to achieve a personal agenda by voting for certain policies, and we separate that from our faith walk entirely. That gives us an out. Right. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting really preachy. No, 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 that's fine. I actually, I, I, I think sometimes the best argument for atheism is uh, some Christian politicians. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah. kind of uh, sometimes I, I see the things that are expressed, and I'm like, man, I can totally see why someone doesn't believe in God anymore mm. um, if that's who represents him. Mm. Um, and then I look at myself sometimes and think my shortcomings and think mm. the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't, I, you know, I don't want to think that that's like me look at the speck in your eye mm-hmm. and the log in my own. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, no, good. I agree. I think we should be involved in politics as much as possible and, and, and pressuring mm. um, that way for change. And honestly, I yeah. kind of think it's it's for white people like we're, we work now so that we don't have to work later. And here's what I mean by that. Right. Mm-hmm. Right now, if white people are the majority, mm-hmm. that means that we have all of the social kind of pressure to mm. do something about this. Mm. And when we become kind of more equal with everyone, mm. All of a sudden now, it's not just on white people to get things done, right? If you're lazy, work now so that you don't have to work later. Because later, when we're all on equal ground, then it's a joint system. And it's not just on white people to have to do this or that. But um, So this is kind of an appeal to my lazier white friends, uh, <laughs> my lazier white brothers and sisters, right? Work now so you don't have to work later. Um, because when many hands make light work and when there's a more even playing field and more colors are able to vote in a meaningful way um and and not not just vote but um talk in a meaningful way have social pressure in a meaningful way um then um yeah we don't have to we don't have to do as much um right now the burden is on us i agree with you um and i think Mm. the burden should be one day on everyone for these kinds of issues yeah we're all responsible for making sure that racism doesn't exist that we are all responsible for it sure well yeah, I mean, I mean, for, for us as white people, it's optional, which is the problem, because we're the ones who created the problem, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 I don't think it's because it's because we're the majority. I think it's because our ancestors caused the problem and we perpetuate it every single day. Like, that's, that's the issue to me. And I think that's, um, I, I, I also think that the burden is, is obviously and clearly felt by our siblings of color, and, and it's not optional for them right? No, that's, not. that's privilege. <laughs> that's, that's how, that's, you know what I mean? Like privilege is, is the opportunity to, to not have to care whether someone lives or dies. Like that's fundamentally what, what, what we're playing with. So I, I, I do agree and hope for a day when, um, when white supremacy is, is vanquished and we've, we've, uh, identified that as, as a sin. Um, and I think that could be many hundreds of years from now, and I hope it's much sooner. Uh, I hope I hope we can microwave some of this stuff and not have to slow cook all yeah. of it. But I also know as much as I can human nature, and I think that in addition to doing the hard work and the immediate work of uh, of uh, not immediate, but the uh, the the work that's in front of us of of relationship building and educating ourselves, helping to educate others, especially other other whites. On some of this stuff, there is the work of prevention, uh, which is uh, 
putting structure in place that keeps people from being able to hurt other people. And whether that's politics or business practices or policies at your church or, uh, you know, deferring leadership uh, to other folks uh, in, in particular instances, um, you know, I think, I think those are things that we're compelled to do. Uh, and I've said that before as it relates to leadership uh, and saying that I, I think we need fewer white, fewer white cishet um, males in leadership in America. And I got a snide comment from a white cishet uh, Christian dude my age who said, uh, so are you going to stop using your platform? Because you said no white dudes should, should lead things, right? Yeah, and he, 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 was, he was like, so because you, you're saying white dudes shouldn't lead anything. I'm like, did I say that? Like, let me, let me go back and read this. Let me, <laughs> I'm like, because if I said that, I, I totally misspoke. So I went back, went back and reread it. I'm like, oh, I didn't say that at all. Um, what I said was we need fewer white men specifically, you know, uh, yeah. white, white cishet and even, even Christian men in leadership in America. And, and I even provided the alternative. I'm like that fundamentally that, that, that in and of itself is a goal, but not the goal. The goal is better representation of America in its leadership. And I think, I think it's also a necessary consequence to the, to the leadership that we see at all levels of society, especially politically, especially in business, uh, and especially in, in upper level leadership in many churches, um, is that we see, um, we see that, 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 uh, that the saturation of white male leadership in America has led necessarily to the ongoing oppression of others because privilege because it's stuff that we don't have to deal with if we don't want to and so we have a bunch of people who may or may not care whether others live or die and even even i would say you know white white progressives or, or good white people or less racist white people it's still the same thing like so that's that's why anyway it's it's to me a necessary and happy consequence having less white men in leadership is a happy and necessary consequence of having more holistically representative leadership throughout our society and i think that's the church i think that's you know in politics i think and what i don't think that necessarily means is that um there is no place in leadership for white men what i think that means is that we need to take every single opportunity that that we have to leverage whatever privilege platform and leadership that we have to benefit others to give someone else a leg up so that um we're not the only ones we see represented in power and leadership across our society, you know? But I know the way I said it, I, I knew it would upset, it would upset some yeah, people, gonna, you know. I'm sure there will be a negative reaction to this. To some yeah. Extent, uh, whether we said something wrong <laughs> because of the conversation or we, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, it happens. Um, you know, I, I think if we could all just admit that racism has had an impact on us, regardless yep. of each of us, regardless of, um, whether it gave us an advantage or a disadvantage, regardless of whether it was subtle or not so subtle and very obvious, whatever, we could just admit that and start there. I think we would actually move very, very far. Yeah. Um, just with that admission alone. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I, racism has impacted my life, even in ways that I haven't seen over the years. And mm. now as I look back and go, yeah, actually, <laughs> it has. <laughs> Mm. Um, and it, it has, and the fact that I don't, that I haven't had to care about a lot of this stuff, or I've had to learn to care about a lot of this stuff, mm -hmm. uh, proves it. Um, because for others, they grew up and it's the only option they had. Mm.
Yeah. Um, it's the only option they had even for their own survival or for their own. I mean, I remember you and I, um, one of the, one of the times that we hung out outside mm-hmm. of when you came <laughs> to my school was at, um, a black Adventist youth event in, in, um, Florida. Yeah. And I was yeah, doing yeah. a drama workshop and you, me and your mom were the only three <laughs> white people in this conference of like over a thousand That's black true. people yeah. in that. While we were there, I remember wondering, I was sitting in a room, we were doing a drama workshop, mm. my school team was doing a drama workshop, you were there for a part of it, yep. and uh, I was sitting in this room, the only, you left, and I was the only white person left, yep. and I was like, is, and I felt so weird, I felt like all eyes were on me, I uh-huh. felt like there was all this pressure, I felt like I had to earn some respect, I felt like I had to, there was a lot yeah. of these feelings that I'd never experienced before, and, I, and then I thought like, is this, is this how, is this how they feel when they're in a room with us, uh, it was very eye-opening for mm-hmm, me mm-hmm. Uh, because I just hadn't experienced it before. I hadn't yeah. experienced being the minority, mm. um, and there is just something so real about the weight that comes on you when you are the minority in any situation. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying like all of a sudden that compares, and, and you know, I, I <laughs> sure, that's not it. Yeah, I'm just saying the pressures are different when you're the minority. Yeah, they are. Yeah, um, they definitely, definitely are. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, um, this is a good perspective. That was a, that was a crazy event, man. I remember, uh, it, it I mean, that was, that was beautiful. Like that gathering was, was so incredible. And I remember, uh, man, I have flashbacks to a couple things that I said on stage that I like super regret, um, where I, um, ah, man, like I, I remember a few things that I say at a few different events where I'm like, ah, oh, I sounded like a, like an idiot. Like, <laughs> that was so dumb. And this was this is one instance too where I was like, so I don't know if anybody's listening who was there or whatever, but you know, like I, I just remember I, I look back on that and I think, you know, I, I talked about I talked about slavery in the history of America and I talked about human trafficking and I talked about some of the parallels. And that was really before I started speaking more openly and overtly about the ongoing issues of racism in America and more fully trying to take ownership for like how how I can practically help break a part of that cycle, right? Uh, and I'm like, oh man, if I if I did that today, that's something I would do differently. But more than that, you know, I used I used um, I, I like I used the phrase uh, brothers and sisters, uh, which is you know a, a common enough religious phrase. But at the same time, I kick myself with that. I'm like, did it seem like I was trying to to fit in, or like I was oh, like yeah. like awkwardly pandering, or did it seem insulting or sarcastic? Like you know, I I kick myself. Because I know there there have been instances in the past, and I, I try to. This isn't me. I, I hope this doesn't come across as like performative or like, you know, oh, you know, Zach is is trying to to be all, you know, whatever, all all racially sensitive to make a point. The the point is simply that. Um, there are all these times that I can point to throughout my my career as a Christian writer and a speaker, uh, which is really basically my my whole teenage life, um, where I'm like, man. I, I did some problematic stuff. Like I did some things that I'm not happy about. Like you guys can go to HuffingtonPost.com and you can type in, uh, or you can Google Zach Hunter International Women's Day and you'll get a Huffington Post article, uh, the first half of which I'm very proud of. And the second half of which sounds condescending as hell. And I'm not super proud of it. Um, and it's really, I mean, the real kicker is I think the last paragraph where I just like, I just like Jesus juke this article so hard. And I feel, I feel like the first, the first three quarters of it are like, you know, me, me being like, yes, 
Christians need to do a better job at, at being feminists. All Christian men should be feminists and, and International Women's Day is something we should recognize and celebrate or something to that effect. Like, you know, don't, don't quote me on that. Go back and read the article if, if you're curious, if you want to know. But the last few sentences, I, I just say some stuff like, you know, women, make no mistake. God thinks you're beautiful and blah, 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 blah. You don't have to measure up to the world standards. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I went from taking ownership for, you know, my own, uh, my own prejudice and my own sexism to a small extent, calling out institutional uh, issues related to that in the church, in our country, and, and making what I thought was a pretty valid point, not an original one, just one that maybe if I say something, there are a few people who might be able to hear it because I can leverage what, what access to a particular, especially white evangelical yeah. young audience. Um, and then that last paragraph, like I, I just tweeted about that a couple of days ago where I'm like, dang, but that, that event stood out to me as, as an opportunity that I felt like I had to maybe do something different, to do something good. I'm like, man, I just like, I probably just stuck my foot in my mouth at that, at that event where I had the opportunity, man, I had, I can't believe they invited, you know, the, uh, a white uh, 17 year old, 18 year old, however old I was at that point. Maybe I was older. I was my senior year, so I was 17, 18. Yeah, so, 18 at the time, so you were 19. Yeah, so, you know, I can't believe they invited a 19 year old white kid from wherever I was living at the time. I think I was in Colorado, you know, but I was in Atlanta just before that. But, you know, a white, white, uh, 18 year old, 19 year old from Colorado to come speak at a, at a Black Adventist youth gathering. What a huge honor is that to be invited into such such a safe space like where 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 i mean they're you know i i i and they knew i was white like you know they most of them i don't think your van driver knew hey that is true how'd you remember that you remembered that that's crazy you remember that yeah because what happened was that my ride to the event circled around the airport a couple times looking for me and i saw a van pass multiple times so i'm like maybe these guys are here to pick us up so i went out and like waved and they pulled over and looked super puzzled and and I was like, hey, I'm Zach. And, and the, the, the gentleman was like, you're Zach? I was like, yes, sir, I'm, I'm Zach. And he was like, oh, they didn't tell us you were, long pause, Caucasian. I was like, yep, that's me, Caucasian Zach, white Zach. I am, and I was like, oh, man, this is, this is going to be interesting. Like, I, I know, and, you know, it's, it's the same thing you were talking about. I'm like, I, I know the burden is on me to prove that I'm not racist, like, and at the same time, like, to go out of my way to do that, all the assumptions attached to that, like, there's, there's just so much room uh, to, to be problematic. And I feel like I took full advantage of that <laughs> multiple points throughout that event and probably came across as, like, a total doofus. Um, and I hope that I didn't do more harm than good there and, uh, and that I wasn't a, a total jerk. But I was, I was honored to be invited into that space. That was just a side note where I'm like... Even in hindsight, like I hope I can, I can have the self-awareness to look back at instances in which I've done something uh, in, with good intentions and have possibly still been harmful. And I think that self-awareness, to hold that with two hands, to say maybe what I wrote for International Women's Day had a positive impact on some people within the constructs and confines of the church, to be able to say like, hey, you know, to, to, to young women in the church, uh, to not have the burden of, you know, uh, of, of another man saying you have to be modest or else you're going to cause me to stumble. Like that's, you know, the thing that I, I, uh, I, like, I hate the modesty culture thing. That whole thing within the church, I think is a part of rape culture. Like, you know, uh, but at the same time, I think how I finished that article is fundamentally problematic. So I'm sure there are things that I've said 
in this conversation. This is the point of that. Sorry for that long tangent. No, 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 that's I'm, fine. <laughs> I'm sure there are things. I, As, I mean, I preach every every yeah. weekend, and, and right. every time I leave with the kind of the like I feel like this every time. Like, why did I say that? Why, <laughs> what did I? Why did I waste this opportunity? <laughs> um, I get it. Um, yeah, I can imagine on that level. Um, <laughs> it's a different pressure. Um, well, man, I I. I appreciate your time, I, and I ah, think we've we hit on a lot of stuff. Being involved uh, politically yeah. um, and having longer and, and more patient conversations with people um, in order to, to um, mm. elevate all of us to a better understanding of each other. Yeah. Um, loving your neighbor better, just I think in general. Um, mm. And, and I, would, I would only add, if you're at a protest and mm. someone starts chanting something or doing something next to you that you disagree with, mm-hmm. walk away. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, that way you don't have to disassociate yourself later. Yes. Disassociate yourself then. Um, like there are people, good I, point. I know I've seen people say, <laughs> like, I was marching with them, but I wasn't chanting. Well, you were marching with them. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. it, it's, regardless of side, right? So even if you're at a, um, I know that some Black, Lider, Black Lives Matter movement um, protests, people have done inappropriate things. Right. Um, and it's not the movement that's done it, it's people. Okay, separate yourself from mm. the people that day as much as possible. Mm. Um, if they're rioting down that street, turn a different street and, you know, clarify that, like, that's not. <laughs> um, do what you can to, to separate yourself in the moment um, would be, like, a, a thing, a practical thing if you're going to protest. <laughs> as much as possible, separate yourself physically from those, uh, from them. But mm. um, I do hope people, um, if you're listening out there, I, I hope you've taken something from this conversation. Even I know it's two white guys talking about racism. Um, and that's a that's loaded conversation. <laughs> yeah, like, like I, I get it. Um, I get it. And, and I do have I do have plans, uh, hopefully to, to get some more diverse opinions um, on this topic, too. Um, but I, I think the white, the the white culture, uh, white people need to have conversations with each other about what it means to really delve into this um, and, and and change the game for all of us. Um, so, um, Zach, do you have any any final thoughts that you want to share um, before we take off? Yeah, man. I mean, it's it's um, it's an honor to to <laughs> to speak about any of this and to presume that anyone would listen. It's encouraging to see people when confronted with new information change their minds. You know, some of the the work that I'm doing right now with my, my nine to five job is with a, a 200 year old nonprofit. Uh, and some of the work that we have done is, is in trying to understand uh, who the curious people are, who, who are curious people who think things can be better because we want to learn from them. We want to, we want to align ourselves with them. What we found is in general, uh, the most curious people who upon being confronted with new facts are willing to change their minds uh, are uh, young women, women living in or near urban centers. Um, and, uh, the least curious and least likely to think things can be better are, uh, middle-aged white men in the suburbs, uh, just as an aside. Um, but what's fascinating about that to me is, is just the idea. I I don't know. I think, um, I think when you think about who, uh, our culture tends to institute as, as the teachers, as our leaders, uh, we don't often think of young, uh, young urban women. Like that's not necessarily what what we think of, and that's that's uh, I think I think a, an interesting perspective shift for me in in recent years, and uh, and to just look at the leadership of of women in America, and to look at the leadership of uh, women of color in America, and to see how women of color step are are uh, out of necessity and out of choice uh, leading the charge in a lot of these issues, and and putting white uh, white Christian leadership in many cases to shame 
uh, yet again, um, you know, is, is something that is, is inspiring, is convicting. And what I would encourage white listeners to do is to, uh, to disciple ourselves to, uh, to faith, faith traditions that are different than our own to, to, uh, to disciple ourselves to uh, the teachings of, of black Christian leaders, uh, of, of black intellectuals, uh, to, to understand the context to the current movements that are happening. If we feel confused, if we feel out of the loop, or if we feel that we know everything because we've read a Buzzfeed article, like we, you know, that, that, that is not, um, it's not a good place to stay in. So that education is important. And I think, I think I, I, I am honored to, to, to support, you know, the movements that we're seeing of justice in this part of our history. And I just want to encourage other people and be encouraged by other people all joining in to this movement uh, so we can all learn together and adapt and elevate the voices of, of people who need to be heard. Mm, I agree. I, I 100% agree with you. And I, 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 once again, I can't thank you enough for coming on and agreeing mm. to talk with me about this. Um, I do appreciate your perspective and, and your journey and thank you for the work that you do. Um, and, and I Thanks, do agree. I, I, <laughs> I'm really excited to, um, see, um, women gaining more and more traction in leadership. Um, and, and man, growing up as a white <laughs> middle-class Christian, like, um, in high school, youth pastors know this, mm-hmm. uh, women like girls, high school girls are where your leadership comes from. If you run <laughs> like a youth council or youth leadership, mm-hmm. right? Men are like ridiculous. Boys are hard to find to get into leadership. <laughs> There's no shortage though of girls who are willing mm. to step up and work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's so true in the working world and in the adult world as well. I think that just continues. Um, uh, and so I, I try, I, I want women to have more of that kind of voice, mm-hmm. um, for sure. So mm-hmm. I agree with you 100% on, <laughs> on, on all of it. Um, well, uh, Zach, how can listeners, uh, find you? How can they interact with you? What's the best way to do so? Yeah. Twitter's Twitter's easy at Zach J Hunter. So Z A C H J H U N T E R Zach J Hunter. Um, that's what I respond to the most is Twitter. I'm on, I'm on there all the time. Um, and then, uh, Facebook as well is, is pretty good. So facebook.com slash Zach Hunter official, but you can also just search Zach Hunter um, and find me on there. Awesome. Um, well, thank you again, Zach. Um, and uh, I hope this conversation kind of continues. I know that we have some avenues and uh, things that we've explored mm-hmm. before. And, um, and I do look forward to any further things that we can do together. Um, but with that, um, just thank you so much guys for listening to this uh, interview and uh, we'll see you later. 